Hi there! You're about to listen to a vintage episode of the Under the Microscope podcast. While the content is still as relevant and as interesting as when it was recorded, our webpage has changed. You can now find us at thesciencetalk.com slash real-scientist-nano. Welcome to Under the Microscope. This series is brought to you by the Real Scientists Nano team. Our goal is to provide a platform where scientists can communicate their work and interact with the public. With that in mind, every week we introduce you to a scientist working in the field of materials and nanoscience who would be curating the RealSci underscore nano Twitter account. Hi everyone, today we have with us Ahmed Kirmani, who is a postdoctoral researcher at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in Colorado, USA. Hi Ahmed, how are you? Hi Pranati, nice to see you. I'm nice good, to thanks. See you. <laughs> Excellent, let's take a deeper dive into getting to know you as a scientist and your science as well. So let's start by understanding your career journey so far. So please tell us about your scientific career. All right, um, thanks. So yeah, I uh, did my undergrad in physics from um, um, Aligarh Muslim University in India. Um, it's a, a university in the north, north of India. And um, um, I majored in condensed matter physics. Um, and then I basically moved to my PhD uh, for my PhD into the King Abdullah University of Science and Technology. That was a new university at that time. It's, uh, it's in Saudi Arabia. And I joined KAUST uh, in 2011. Um, I was uh, part of the uh, sort of the first cohort of grad students um, at that time in my research group and so um, gained, uh, I would say, valuable experience of building a research lab, uh, facing challenges of, uh, of, of what one can imagine in a, in a laboratory that does not really exist before you join. And so that really equips you with an invaluable experience, I would say. Um, and then <clears throat> Another thing that I realized was I was coming from a background of physics uh, and, um, uh, you know, basically transitioning into material science. Uh, that was um, very, I would say, industrial in, in its nature uh, or, uh, you know, trying to solve problems that are uh, that can be marketable one day. So that was an I felt initially it was an abrupt uh, transition for me going from physics to, to material science. Um, but then. It had its own challenges and, and I had my learning curve. But what I uh, found was the positive that came out of it was uh, literally, I was really working at the interface of physics and chemistry um, over the years of my PhD and trying to develop a deeper understanding from a physics-based understanding of, uh, of these, this industry-oriented field that is uh, solution-deposited electronics. Um, and that, I think, uh, again, that was this working on the interface thing that happened for me or during my PhD and that really held. Um, this um, uh, eventually, I would say, uh, resulted um, in uh, one of the first industry compatible fabrication of the solar cells that I was working on. I was working on nanocrystal based solar cells, quantum dots, as we call it. Um, after my PhD in 2017, I moved to, um, to the US to join as a guest researcher in the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST. Uh, it's a national lab in, in the Maryland area. Um, and um, I basically, again, here opted for a slight change uh, in my research uh, path. And that change was uh, trying to focus on fundamentals again, trying to um, you know, highlight microstructure 
how let's say crystals grow, right? What happens at the boundaries? Can we have better control over crystal growth? Um, and can that then define uh, the properties of these materials of the, of the devices? And so uh, that was that became my focus for a couple of years where, when I was at NIST and um, trying to address questions on structure transport um, and thin film electronics. Having uh, gained that understanding, I would say I moved on to the more sort of flashier or um, uh, superstar of the next generation photovoltaics, the perovskites. And perovskites are um, ink-based, ink-deposited uh, materials. And um, you start with very low cost um, ink uh, and deposited using a very low cost deposition technique such as spray coating uh, or blade coating, right? It's literally painting. And then what you have eventually is, is a device that can um, revolutionize the sectors of energy and electronics as we know it. So, um, and that's what I did when I joined uh, National Renewable Energy Laboratory in US here. Um, I've been doing that for a, a good couple of years now. And it's been very exciting, I would say. Um, it's my sort of my first time in stepping my feet into uh, perovskite, so it's been a steep learning curve. But um, I have, I think I've defined a niche here um, with uh, trying to understand radiation matter interactions in perovskite photovoltaics. And uh, this is geared toward taking this technology beyond earth and into space. Ooh, wow, okay. So from condensed matter physicists to now taking perovskites or nanomaterials to space and technology to space, that's quite a journey you've had. This is really yep. inspiring, really cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, now my next uh, curiosity about your science is, um, about your current research. And you already briefly touched upon that, that you're working on perovskite-based uh, solar cells. Um, where does this fit in this big picture, your current research? Where does it fit in this big picture of materials on nanoscience? Because it's quite a broad topic. Right. So um, physics, chemistry, and material science, I think that's sort of the, uh, so, sort of the uh, you know, three-phase boundary, I would say, if I'm to use that word, that sort of defines what I'm doing right now, trying to understand, uh, you know, these radiation matter interactions in perovskites, as I mentioned, from a physics understanding. So this has interestingly brought nuclear physics uh, into, into the picture. And it, it's funny because I spent uh, um, a couple of months back in my undergrad when I was in India in the um, uh, Indian Space Research Organization, ISRO, uh, to, to understand, uh, you know, the magnetic field in the Earth's, Earth's magnetosphere, and that, that sort of stuff. And I, I absolutely had no idea that I'm going to be revisiting, revisiting this uh, 12 or so years later. And here I am basically trying to, again, look at magnetosphere in, of Earth and what protons and electrons exist there and can uh, you know, damage perovskite solar cells when once hopefully we launch them. We actually did a launch recently in collaboration with NASA. So we sent our um, perovskite solar cells to the International Space Station. We are going to hopefully get them back in six months, and uh, we'll then characterize them to study what how space affects perovskites. Um, but yeah, that that I, I would say is how um, you know um, my research fits into the material science um, category. I my PhD was uh, very much focused, I would say, on nanoscience, as in I was exploring nanocrystal-based solar cells or colloidal quantum dots, as we call them. That's uh, the nanos version of single crystals. So the mm -hmm. crystals at the nanoscale. I have, I would say I've zoomed out now um, and have been working on bulk perovskites, which is having its 
its own um, challenges. Um, and so I, I've been I've been loving this. Okay, all right, that sounds really cool. Sending perovskites to space. I mean, that is like and bringing them back from space and then studying them and seeing how they are they've changed uh, in that environment. That is really really cool. Um, so Ahmed, it sounds to me that uh, so far you have uh, been involved with uh, in, in a lot of interesting research projects, a lot of exciting and super interesting research projects, be it during your bachelor's, be it your, during your PhD or your first postdoc or now uh, your second postdoc. Um, now this question is difficult, I know, before asking it, but if you have to pick one research project that you're most proud of, or the most fun or quirky one, could you pick one and explain it to us in super simple words, please? Right, um, so what comes to my mind is basically one of the um, things I explored or demonstrated in my PhD and that I typically call my uh, highlight of, the, of, my, of my career. Uh, but then there was sort of an extension of that, I would say in my uh, postdoc at NIST uh, with a different material system with, the, but, with a similar challenge. And this deals with, um, again, the lab to fab transition, right? So a lot of these devices, a lot of this whole sort of research theme of ink-based uh, deposition, right? Th that is in stark contrast with the, these technologies in the 1980s uh, or 90s where single crystals, for example, would be grown um, on large scale, lots of high temperature annealing involved, lots of costs involved and um, very, are uh, very careful handling of them so you don't introduce defects. Whereas the, here, we are literally making salts, dissolving salts in, in solvents, making ink and minks and then depositing them, right? So um, one thing that is um, the way to start typically, right? Um, when one want, wants to explore these material systems is to obviously do it in the laboratory using techniques that are not scalable, that are costly. And you would not imagine using them for in, a, in, a, in the industry, for example. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so there is that transition one has to do at some point, um, trying to think about beyond lab scale and into the uh, market scale. Uh, that's that is a scale up, right? And mm -hmm. it brings with it, with it obviously its challenges. So the the thing that I did, I would say that I'm most proud of, um, is to understand how to take the lessons, or maybe relearn the lessons that you establish in the lab scale, with an unscalable technology to the market scale, market scale using a scalable technology and trying to then obviously understand how the films grow um, and how to efficiently grow them to not compromise their performance and to essentially hit performance parity between lab scale and the lower cost uh, market scale. I did that in 2018 with nanocrystal-based solar cells. Uh, and then again in 2020 with a different technology, uh, it's, it's called metal oxides. Uh, and this is basically a technology that's similar to being used, uh, what's used in iPad Air 2 series, uh, where they use that for the backplane. Um, it's a, it's a, a metal oxide transistor that powers the high resolution displays that we see. But then obviously it's all done using vacuum deposition and the new thrust is to explore the, that using coding techniques. And um, uh, I would say uh, we were one of the first to basically explore that and show performance parity. So those are, that's sort of the uh, exciting part of the, uh, the projects or, or the uh, pro projects I would say that I'm most proud of in my career okay. so far. Yeah, let's say one of the most proud of, because I'm pretty sure you're proud of most of your research projects. And I can <laughs> imagine why you picked this one or these ones to be the projects that you're, let's say, 
most a little bit more proud than the rest uh, i can totally understand <laughs> that because that does sound really really cool um thanks Ahmed, it's clear to me that you love the research aspect of being a scientist. Uh, but uh, as a postdoc now uh, in the US, uh, being a scientist, there are other facets to uh, your work as well, other than just doing the research. So what else do you like about being a scientist? Building networks. Hmm. Um, being a scientist um, has allowed me to build networks, going to conferences, and uh, and obviously the lesson that we have all have learned, I would say, over the last uh, 18 years and counting, uh, is to basically build virtual networks. The importance of of zooming, right? Uh, importance of teams, all all that kind of stuff. Um, to build networks, to communicate um, what you have in your mind, um, to write papers, basically, to let that thing that we we think can change the world be on paper and be read by your, your colleagues. And hopefully then um, it's sort of a pyramid, then you know, it can be read by those who are important and are important in the sense of making policies, uh, right? The policymakers. And if, if, if what you have in your mind can be read, let's say by policymakers, I think that, that really brings about a, a big change that opens the door to, to the dream of scientists. So it's, it's this liberty, it's this freedom, I would say of, of communicating, of, of building networks that really um, inspires me uh, and, and, and makes me really uh, excited about what I'm doing. But also I would say in general, uh, being part of a global community that shares the concerns that ail us right now, for example, climate change, um, you know, that's sort of the, the, the biggest problem obviously. And unfortunately it's gonna become even more severe as we head into the next decade. Um, so yeah, and then share, being part of this whole community that, that has the same concern that shares this concern with you and and then everybody sort of aligns to bring positive change that is i think uh the biggest sort of um uh, you know the, the fruit that you get of being a scientist yeah absolutely yeah absolutely i, I understand i understand what you mean uh, and i also relate to it to a certain extent so building networks communicating making a big impact and also with um concerns that are that need to be addressed on a global level on a global community level uh, right i'm very happy that we have uh, people like you who are active researchers who are part of the research community uh, who, who think like that who uh, think about these things as well and not just the niche uh, field that you're working in so that's really really nice for me uh, to know um Ahmed, um, next question for you is, uh, what advice would you uh, give yourself uh, if you were to go back in time or to, to uh, folks who are starting out today uh, on their scientific journey? Do you have some advice? Yeah, um, I think the, the most important advice and that has really shaped me, shaped me to a, a researcher over the last um, several years is to not be afraid and to be willing to work at interfaces of different fields. And I would actually say that interface is the discovery. That's exactly where the discovery is waiting to happen. Um, you know, changing your research field um, will, will definitely challenge you, would put you in a position that you don't want to be in. That would be a learning curve, a steep learning curve. And you don't really have that much time in your career to, to, to learn, you know, um, you don't have a lot of time. For example, when you're transition, transitioning out of your PhD and into a postdoc career, you don't have a lot of time to learn things. Uh, you want to literally hit the ground running, but that's exactly where um, the discovery is waiting to happen. By constantly living at the edge, you will discover your edge. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, that's a good line. Yeah. Stepping out of your comfort zone and challenging yourself. That's very, very important. Yep. Really, really cool advice. Thank you, Ahmed, for that. Um, I hope your research experience has been wonderful so far and will continue to be wonderful in the future as well. However, um, we all have wishes to improve our, uh, our work. So if you have three wishes to improve your research experience, what would you ask for? And I'm not promising anything here, okay? Right. <laughs> um, so uh, a couple of things that come to mind and I, when I think about my career and like what I might have maybe done a bit differently, uh, what I've been um, maybe giving more conference talks, communicating more, um, I did have the, um, you know, being part of Kaust, um, I had a, the, I, I would say I had the benefit or advantage of, uh, you know, visiting different cultures and giving talks uh, in different countries. But like also uh, maybe um, one always thinks back, thinks back and be like, maybe I, did I, did I uh, do it less? Was there more opportunity, opportunities to more? But also I think this also comes from uh, the, the, what, what has happened over the last 18 years because of COVID, right? We just have been stuck in our, uh, comfort zones, I would say, or um, there the barrier to, to to get out has obviously gone up. And so, giving more conference talks, communicating more, um, being more involved in science communication, I would say. Um, you know, SciComm is such a buzz these days, and importantly so, right? We need to educate the next generation about climate change, about what the next generation is headed toward, right? Um, uh, and so, I think that just makes, I would say, this is sort of a concern that. Um, um, uh, a lot of people can relate, um, you know, and and uh, share with me this concern that um, science communication is so much more needed. And I I, I would say this platform like Sci Real Science Nano is is one of is an, is a good example of that. Basically, right, trying to commun communicate what Nano is, and for example, what what Nano can do to to address these change these challenges, climate change. Um, so yeah, um, I wish. These existed before as well, and I think I would say also um, when you are working in a um, research field that is very industrial, um, I would recommend or suggest um, folks to think about also patenting your research findings. When we are routed toward academia, uh, we don't really. I think patenting sort of takes a backseat. But um, if I think about my research findings, um, I did have a couple of results. I would say um, that I hold pretty close to me, my, my heart, and I appreciate that. Um, uh, or, or like, I sort of, I, I like those uh, as sort of the highlights of my career. I wish I had patented them. So yeah, those are a couple of couple of things that I, I wish I had done, but mm -hmm. I maybe did not have, have the chance uh, to do that. Okay, well, all three very practical wishes, more conference talks, more science communication and patenting your discoveries. Um, and I feel like uh, more confidence talks, the, the number of talks that you will be giving at conferences will only grow. And the second wish you have to be more involved with science communication, well, being a guest on our Real Scientist Nano and our podcast series, you're already working in that direction. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> Uh, we are happy to have you. And the third thing about patenting the research findings. Well, if you haven't done it in the past, you can start doing it now. So very realistic wishes. I should have said that, yes, I'm promising that all your wishes come true before you answer the question. Uh, but you're already making sure that that is happening. So Ahmed, this has been wonderful getting to know you as a scientist and your research as well. Um, before I let you go, uh, one last question I have for you. Uh, we are living through a very 
interesting times. We uh, seem to be getting better at times and seem to be getting worse at times. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the COVID pandemic. Um, what are your learnings from the from the year 2020 or the pandemic uh, as a whole of 18 months or more than 18 months that it keeps dragging on and on and on? Right. I feel like we have been sort of riding, riding a, a sinusoidal curve. And as soon as a minima hits, as soon as you find yourself in a minima, I would say wrap up your old papers. That's a, sort of the advice also I would want to give it to uh, postdocs and grad students. That's, that's what I did in 2020. Uh, that's sort of one key learning for me uh, last year. Um, I was able to get some of the old unpublished work from my PhD to get published uh, into a few papers. And, um, and yeah, uh, don't try to delay publishing old papers. Uh, new ones quickly start taking higher priority and the old ones actually you know, are, are forgotten. Um, I would say, I would also say that uh, use such times to learn new skills. For example, one thing that I invested my time in was basically trying to use um, science illustration softwares. And that led to a, a bunch of front cover illustrations. And I'll definitely be uh, talking about that more on the next week on uh, Real Science Nano's Twitter, uh, Twitter account. All right, wonderful. Thank you for sharing your learnings and your advices as well. Looking forward to having you on Real Scientist Nano and knowing more about how you send perovskites to the International Space Station. Uh, and also already looking forward to having you back in six months time when you have the perovskites back from the ISS uh, and you're, or, uh, you're characterizing it. So thank you very much. And uh, as I said, looking forward to having you on Real Scientist Nano. Thank you so much, Pranodi, for having me. And it was fun chatting with you. And I look forward to curating the account next week and uh, sharing my experiences and having, having fun with the nano community. Thank you for listening. To know more about us, please visit our website, realscientistsnano.org, and follow us on Twitter at realsci_nano.